Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Transition just takes a moment because there was no way that this wire temptation could have been within the reach of my young daughter. Um, it would have been pulled all apart. So, <laughs> But we're, there we go. I want to start this morning with this verse. Um, We are actually going to spend our time in the Old Testament. We're going to carry on with that uh, character analysis that Pastor Matt had been going through. We're going to talk about Elijah. But before we get there, I want to start with this thought. And these are Jesus' words. To put it in perspective, these are also Jesus' words very shortly before his death. These are part of his prayer for his followers just before he leaves them, in essence. And it's this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. In essence, it's that prayer that you and I, as followers of Christ, would be there within the world with all of its distractions, with all of its hang-ups, with all of its detriment, because so often this world, and they use the the word world often in Scripture to not just speak of the physical world, but to speak of the society that is not choosing to follow after God. So he's saying, I I pray for these, my followers, who are living in a world and a society that is not made up of followers of me. I'm putting you there. I'm not removing you from it. But I do ask that you are kept from the evil one. I'm going to start with that thought, but before we dig further, let's open in prayer. Let's pray this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to turn to you this morning as our strength, as our comfort, as our guide. God, we ask that you would bring our thoughts together and point them towards you. We pray that you would work in and among us this morning, that as we look into your word and as we seek after you, that we would find you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I start here and I talk about this, even though this is in the New Testament, this is Jesus' words to Jesus' followers. I see a parallel across back into the Old Testament, and we're going to look at this character by the name of Elijah. And Elijah, in so many ways, it is this difficult journey with many highs and lows. Elijah, if you know anything about him, he had some very, very powerful moments where he confronts specifically the king Ahab is the king where he most confronts with, and his, and his time mostly overlaps with that individual. But yet, Elijah is also one that spends a great deal out in the wilderness. Elijah is not exempt from discouragement, from struggle. Let's dig in. But to give you a, just a little bit of context in relation to even where we were last week, because last week, Pastor Matt was talking about Joab, who was serving under the King, king David. That would have been like, you know, 1010 would have been the beginning of David's reign. 1003 is when King David took over all of Israel. But we end up, we're going all the way over towards the right of this, over to Elijah's ministry. King Ahab becomes king of Israel. You're talking about about 120 years that have taken place since this. Under King David, the, the kingdoms have been united. They stayed united under King Solomon. But then they were divided. And so within this 120 years, you have this division. 
And we also have this individual who's going to be referenced in the middle there. Jeroboam becomes king of Israel because Jeroboam's sin is going to be mentioned in some of the verses that we talk about shortly. But also just Ahab, he ends up reigning for 22 years. A great deal of Elijah's ministry happens during Ahab's reign. And what Ahab is known for, starting right out at the beginning, in the first five years, he ushers in apostasy. He ushers in turning away from God. And then you see where the, these events, right in the middle is actually what we're going to spend time talking about, this famine, and then Mount Carmel and Mount Horeb. But let's start into his word. So we're in 1 Kings, and it says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. So this king that Elijah is going to be confronting is not just one of the bad kings. You could go so far as to say evil king. Because the next verse even goes further. It says, and, and as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. And what that's referenced to is to drawing the people of Israel away from God. What Jeroboam's sin was is setting up Baal worship and specifically p- turning them away from worshiping after God. So often in Scripture, if you see this sin of Jeroboam, that's what it's saying. It, trying to turn them to something else other than God. Specifically in the case here, it was to worship after Baal. So he said, and, so, and that's where we pick up again where he said, oh, the son of Nabah. He took his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Sidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Samaria being the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. And Ahab made an Asherah which is, a, again, an, an idol or a, a place of worship to a different small g God, again. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This is the individual. And it's at this point that Elijah enters the scene. Elijah starts off within the opening and what ends up being in the very beginning of chapter 17. I'm not going to read all of the verses because there's a number of chapters we're going to cover here. So I'm going to summarize some of it. Like, for example, here, Elijah enters the scene as a prophet. And the first thing he says is that there will be no rain and no dew until I give word again. What it turns out is that's going to be three years is how much time. But also what follows with, if you have no rain, you have famine coming on land. You have drought. None of these crops are growing. It's creating a hard time. Next, what happens is then Elijah, which he actually leaves. He, Elijah goes on, and that's where you might, may have read. He goes by the brook Cherith, and he's fed by the ravens. And he's there until the brook dries up. Because as I said, there was no rain, and we're now going on an extended period of time of no rain. He then proceeds over, and in the next encounter we have is with this widow of Zarephath, Zarephath rather. And this is where he comes to this widow and she is saying, I have nothing. I'm here to gather up a few sticks to go take the last of the flour and the last of the oil that I have. My son and I are going to eat it and then we're going to die. 
Elijah at this point, though, oh, it had been sent to this widow. And he comes and he makes a request of her. And on the surface, you might think, well, he's just asking for some food. But if you realize, he's actually asking for her, he asks her to feed him before she feeds her son and herself, essentially then the very last food she has. And he says that the Lord will extend the flour and the oil until this rain comes again. So you're left with this widow who's then to take Elijah at, her, at his word, and she does. She chooses to use the very last of what she has in faith and follow after here. And here, Elijah then does eat it, but then that flour and that oil continue on through the rest of the drought, rest of that time where that, that little bit of oil... I just want to see here, like, be... As we're looking at this now, notes to take away here, be aware of the faith of those who are around you. Like, because in so many ways, this widow is a side note to the larger encounter, the larger part of these three years. How many other widows would have there been throughout Israel that were suffering? We don't know. Kind of a side note here, but it's important that it's actually included within the text. I think in part for us as a reminder of even this individual, what she had, she gave. You and I, as we're considering, what is our response? What is our response as we're being potentially distracted, drawn away, led into discouragement? What is our response? One possible response is to model the same faith as this widow. And it didn't stop there. Because this widow, her son actually dies, and Elijah br brings him back to life. You, you see throughout Elijah's ministry many times in which just complete miracles are done. And again, it's almost like there's other details. So we continue on, and this is the next part. We come back to that confrontation between Elijah and Ahab. And this is then set up for that confrontation that happens on Mount Carmel. We, we also see a, another individual introduced here is Obadiah. Obadiah is interesting because he actually then hides 100 prophets to the Lord. Because during this time, Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, had actually brought in, yes, 450 prophets to Baal, 400 prophets to Azariah, and she also then put out and put to death all the prophets of the Lord. We come here then, though we have a case of Obadiah as one who then hides a hundred prophets. And he is the one who then feeds them with bread and water during this time. We have another just example, again, of be aware of the faith of those around you. Because Obadiah, again, is only, in so many ways is a minor character to the, to the rest of the story that we're going to say. But just as a side note to take away and don't lose sight of, as you and I are deciding and going about our way... Be aware of the faith of those around you. But this is where we start back into the main story, the main interactions back and forth with Ahab. And this is when the confrontation does come. And Elijah, and this is where Ahab has finally seen Elijah. Elijah had disappeared for three years. And he said, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, it is you, you troubler of Israel. I really do enjoy Elijah's response. He says, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. 
your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Just bring them together. And you might even think, well, Ahab, what motivation does Ahab to have to do this? You remember the last time that Elijah said anything publicly? It stopped raining. At all. So there is some motivation to response. And this sets up this showdown. And this is when they do gather at Mount Carmel. And these are Elijah's words. And he says this to the people. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. He challenges them and says, give me an answer. If you're saying that God is God, excellent. But if you're saying that Baal is God, how long are you going to hold between these two as though you're giving at one moment you know, praise towards God, but yet in others, praise towards something else? As I'm going to call for a moment, that distraction, that other thing. For each of you, I don't know what that is, but you do. I, I, can, I, I feel certain that if you can be honest with yourself, you're able to know for yourself, as you're evaluating, see yourself in that situation of, what is that thing that draws you towards fear rather than confidence in God? What is that thing that draws you towards hate rather than the love that we're commanded to have? What is that thing that shakes your confidence that God is able to work, that God is working, that God is and will carry you through. But for the people of Israel, they didn't give an answer. What sets up next, and I won't read all of it, but I'll summarize a bit of it for you. Elijah essentially says, we're going to have a contest. We're going to bring out two bulls, and whoever can call down fire from God to burn the altar that's who's God. Baal, the Baal prophets follow along as well. And, and Elijah says, go ahead and pick. And they choose which bull. He says, go ahead and set up your altar first. And they do. And then it says in the, the Bible there, it says, and they called unto Baal from morning until noon. And at this point, I find it kind of humorous, but Elijah says, is your God asleep? Is your God away on a vacation? Perhaps you just need to speak a little louder to them. And they actually do. And, and they follow along with, they even cut themselves you know, in, in line with the, the way, part of the way they worship. So it wasn't that they, you know, just out of the blue, did it, but this was part of that trying, trying to show sacrifice. And it says it continues on past noon to the time of offering. And at this point, then Elijah comes forward. And Elijah does it in a very specific way. He, he chooses 12 stones represent the 12 tribes, and he sets those up. Next, he, he digs out a trench around the 12 stones. And he takes the wood, and he sets out on the stones, and he takes the bull, cuts it into pieces, and lays that on the water. Or, or rather, lays that on the wood. And at this point, you're thinking, okay, he's set. He says, no, I want you to take four jars of water. Go down to the, the river, fill them up, and put them on the altar. 
weren't you trying to burn this? He says, do it a second time. So that's four more jars. He says, do it a third time. And do four more jars. It's at this point then you're seeing the complete diversity here of ideal situation of possibility for profit of Baal given all kinds of time as opposed to the contrary here of setting up, yes, done in a specific way, but yet when you add that water, even enough as it says that it filled the trench around the bottom, this is just not practical for this to now still burn. This is what Elijah starts with. He says, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back as I turned away from Baal and back to the Lord. Next it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water from the tr- in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And at this point you might be saying, that's, That's miraculous. There's no other, yeah, that's the right word. That's miraculous. I want to ask you, though, what is your response to that? You see their response. Their response was seeing and saying that that is God and he is at work. I also, though, as you and I look to this, I want us to see what do we draw away from this? I would say one thing that we ought to draw away is be prepared to see God do great and mighty things. Because I feel like at times we get stuck into this mindset of I live in a very different time than the Old Testament. I live in a time where God just doesn't work the same way. I just don't see God at work. And perhaps you're left with that discouragement that what I do see, as I look around me, I see division. I, I, I live in a society where There's more division today than I have ever known. Perhaps you say, when I look around, I see people that just seem filled with hate. Like even even believers seem just so upset at what they see around them. I see unbelievers and they seem so upset about what's around them. People that fall into maybe a different category and they're still just upset. This is what I see. I don't see God at work. I, I see division. I just see people who are struggling. I I see people who are discouraged. I look around at 2020 and I think, what next? Like even if I I feel like things are being blown out of proportion, I still think, how do we get through this? This is the time, I would say, for you and I, just a moment. Set some of those distractions aside. Because what we don't need is more division. We don't need the distraction. We don't need these things pulling apart. What we need is more of Jesus. What we need is more of that realization that the same God who displayed himself to his people here in this way is our God. 
The same God who is able to act, and he chose to act this way here, is able to act in and among us today. If you were to ask me, is God able to save? I would say yes. Is God able to bring us through situations like we're facing right now? Yes. Is God bigger than the division and hate that we struggle with? Yes. Is God bigger than the different views that perhaps we even hold? Yes. This is where I'd say the takeaway is not some presumption of having God act in a certain way. Because also, just as a side note, realize that within Elijah here, it says within here that he did all that the Lord had commanded. It wasn't as though Elijah had decided, this is a test and I'm going to put God to it. But he says, I'm following after the Lord, and the Lord showed himself as the ability to work. I'm just reminded at times when you think of what it's not. It's not to presume that God has to work the way I envision it. It's not to presume that God is only able to work in the way I envision it. But that realization and be prepared that God is able to work. God is able to meet these situations in which we live. It's important for us to be reminded of that. It's a little bit further within this. It didn't stop here. Because you just remember, we'd still been then of three years and no rain. The drought's still there. The famine is still there. And Elijah says to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. At this point, Elijah then goes up into the Mount Horab. Or, no, sorry, it's not. He's still in Mount Carmel. He, he goes there and he prays. And he sends his servant to go look towards the sea for a cloud. And he says, repeats it seven times. Go looking, go looking. Then finally on the seventh time he says, I, he, I saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Meaning if I'm looking out, and it's, I actually can cover up the cloud with my hand. So I saw the, and at this point he then sends that same servant and he sends it off to Ahab and says, get your chariot together and go on your way so that you're not stopped by the rain which at this point is probably a little bit of confidence, I would say, on his part. And Ahab to believe him because there hadn't been rain for three years. You mean to tell me there's going to be enough rain that I'm not even going to be able to drive my chariot? As a note, say that we need to trust God to do great and mighty things. Because at this point, Elijah had seen God answer his prayer, answer the test there, but the next is saying, the rain is truly coming. Even at the point before it, telling to Ahab, go and eat and drink because it's going to come. But also then saying, even when the cloud is only the size of a man's hand, tell Ahab, the rain is coming. You and I, it's not just that realization, mental acknowledgement that God is a God who is able to work. But I, I, I put the slight difference here in my mind but are we willing and able to trust that he can and will for me today? Because I find it often a little bit easy to put a little bit of a distinction in there in that God worked this way in the Bible. God worked this way in that time. God worked that way in that time. But will he still work here and among us? I feel like it, it and, and even if you wouldn't even come out and say, 
This problem is too big for God. I feel like it's easy to almost put a distinction in my heart of saying, yeah, I'll hope that it happened. I don't know if God's sufficient for what I'm going through right now. Have you ever got to that point? Maybe you didn't, didn't, didn't even verbalize it, but you're, the fear is within your heart. And that's, what I'm start, that's why I started with the verse that I did. And when that Jesus, some of Jesus' last words were that you are in the world, but that you are not led away by the, Satan. Because you and I, God has not chosen to remove these distractions, these discouragement, these hardships, these things. God has not removed them from our lives. But he said, in the midst of this world, that is not dedicated to following after Christ, that you as my followers would be kept and that you would trust and that you would follow. Because even for Elijah, it was not that easy. Because some of the next things that were to happen here is Elijah flees Jezebel. Because the next events within this is Ahab does what Elijah said. He takes his chariot and he goes to Jezreel. Um, and it's actually... So he goes down and he tell, then he tells his wife, Jezebel, what had just happened. And Jezebel's response is not those are the people and turns to God. Hers instead is what in the world, I do apologize, one detail I did not summarize is following the, the test, they killed all of the prophets of Baal. And you also just doesn't know, it wouldn't have been Elijah by himself to do that. It would have been that whole people that had been gathered there together and said, God, he is Lord, and we are going to follow after him. But yet to Jezebel, no way. And she sought after to kill Elijah, even to the point of her saying, so, so much and more the gods do to me if I have not done to Elijah what he has done to my prophets. The threat of his life, and Elijah flees. And Elijah, so even after all the just whirlwind of everything that had just happened, he comes to this, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came down and sat under a broom tree. We find Elijah back in the wilderness. He'd been there, you know, for most of that three years, but we find him there again. And, and I, just as a note here, I, I found it interesting to think he's under a broom tree. It's not like he, this was the best tree in the world. An example of what a broom tree looks like is a little shrub. There really isn't that much shade to be gained from it. Just to put in a little bit of context, when you're saying he's there under the broom tree, it's not like he had a big elm or a big oak or some large tree that's going to be that. And wilderness is very much like what is wilderness here, rocky, desolate area. This would have been an accurate picture of what, where Elijah might have been. And carrying on, after he sat down under the broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, Is it enough now, O Lord? Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. You ever almost feel a little bit better about your own discouragement when you realize it's just been like a couple of days since Elijah saw God not just saw God, he was the one who called down fire from heaven, completely consumed the altar. The people said, we're with you. 
will follow through to kill the prophets, we're only talking like a couple of days here. Elijah is back out in the wilderness and says, Lord, kill me now. I got to say, I, this might not be the best takeaway, but say, okay, at least understand a little bit when I get discouraged. Elijah saw this and he still got discouraged. But know that even in the midst of this, Elijah was not left alone. It's interesting that what follows here, I say trust in God when things don't go as planned. Because if anything, if this had followed through, like all of the people were seeming to follow him, all but Jezebel, which did she did in fact have the authority to seek after Elijah and take his life. But so many others were saying, we're with you. I'd say to trust in God even when things do not go as planned. Because what does follow here? Even though this is Elijah's response of just complete discouragement. I'm alone again. I'm out in the wilderness again. I'm under this measly broom tree. He comes to the point, and what happens next within the account here in the Bible? It says, an angel woke him, said, arise, eat and drink, because the journey ahead of you is long. And he actually goes back to sleep under the same broom tree. And again, a second time, an angel comes to him and says, Arise and eat and drink, for the journey ahead of you is long. And he ends up going on that food for 40 days within the wilderness. This happens here, that even in the midst of Elijah saying, I want to die. God, I've had it. He had not been abandoned. So as much as I'm saying... That's not the right response. I think that you and I should take heart that as we do struggle, and I would say to you, I'm sure the struggle is real of trusting when all the time, of having confidence that God is in fact at work when it, I look around and it just, it's just not working the way I expected it to be. The struggle is real. But I'd say that though the example is to trust in God even when they don't go as planned, so what comes next is there he came to a cave. And this would have been after like the 40 days that he had wandered to get to this point. And he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I alone, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was, was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood by the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, killed the prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return your way to the wilderness of the Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel to be king over Syria, and Jehu to be the son of Nimshi, she shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat of Abel, Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. Might not have been the words you expected. Wasn't really an answer to what he'd said, other than this is the answer. He's saying, Elijah, I am not finished with you. Elijah, I do have more work for you. Elijah, I have still plans. You notice that all of these things that the instructions that he's to have to are for setting up that things weren't going to stop with Ahab. This wasn't the end of the kingdom. This wasn't the end of things. They were going to continue on. Even with the, in Syria, it wasn't going to stop with the current king there. Even with you, Elijah, as my prophet, you will not be the last prophet that I have. But please, Carry on, but also know that it wasn't necessarily the answer in the way he expected either. You notice how the wind, strong wind came, but that was not the show of strength per se. That was not God in that, but the earthquake and the fire, but a low whisper. Perhaps not the way in which he expected to hear from God. Perhaps not the answer he expected to hear from God. Regardless of all those things, I would say listen to God when he speaks. You know, in so many ways, I could almost, you could almost, if, if you didn't catch any of the other ones, if you come down to this and you're wondering, how do I respond? Listen to God when he speaks. When you're trying to figure out how do I respond to this distraction, this discouragement, this fear, this hardship, this situation I don't know how to respond to. Listen to God when he speaks. Listen to God even though that answer may not be what you expected for an answer. Listen to God even though that answer may not be coming in the way you expected to receive the answer. Because here's the thing. These situations, which truly can affect us, do affect us. Which truly can discourage us, do discourage us, can divide us, do divide us at times. They're, they're not. They're not the main thing. I would say that we need to keep our eye on a little bit bigger picture spend a little bit more time reminding ourselves that, well, this is significant because it's where I'm at right now today. It's what I'm facing today. It's significant. I'm not diminishing that. But realize that that situation does not take away that this is still my God. The same God who was at work here, who displayed himself through Elijah. And I honestly, I'm in good company in that I'm struggling to answer and respond the way I ought even Elijah, who witnessed all these things, didn't necessarily respond in every way in which he should have. When you realize he ended up back in the wilderness saying, I want to die. 
Like, I don't think that was, per se, the right response within that. And I would say this. Remind yourself regularly and often that this is my God. This God who is my God is bigger than this situation. This God who is my God, he's still very much able, capable, and willing to work in this situation. My response, my trust, it's like this. It's, well, be prepared that God might still work. Trust that God is and able to work. Trust that the, still trust, even when they don't go according to my plan. In the midst of that, still listen. Listen to what God does have and then when he does speak. Realization of this story didn't end just here. Um, some of the next things that happened, we will just go through them quickly. But Ahab, this, these events that happened in 20, they're actually about almost 10 years happens within history here. Just so you're aware, a lot of time passed. From when that happened, there's proclamation that Ahab's going to be taken over by this other king, this other king is going to be taken over, and prophet Elisha is eventually the one that takes over from Elijah. But these events happen. Ahab goes to war with Syria, and it actually miraculously defeats Syria. Syria was expected to win. They, they outnumbered him. They, they had all the advantages. But yet Ahab won. A lot more you could say about that, we just don't have time. Because Ahab was an evil king, but God still used him. God still provided for his people in spite of. Anyway, then this happens again where the Syrians, they're not content. Well, we're coming back again. And Ahab again defeats the Syrians. And this time they make a peace agreement. An unnamed prophet condemns Ahab's release of the king of Syria, saying that God had set him aside to destruction. And there was at this point then a prophecy of Ahab's death. So Ahab and Jezebel, this is where you've probably heard of before, where Ahab, but also more Jezebel's encouragement to go along with it of taking Naboth's vineyard, which he had no right to, even to the point of killing Naboth to get it. Elijah at this point steps in and condemns Ahab for this event specifically and prophesies his death. And that near end, it, because Ahab ends up dying in a joint battle where the, the south under Jeshaphat, who was actually a good king, and Ahab go together to battle against the Syrians, and Ahab dies. That is the end of that story for Ahab. But even with that, you can realize things didn't necessarily just go to plan. When you realize for Elijah, he's out in the wilderness, God even speaks to him. He gives him more actions in it. And you realize, wait a second, when I look in history, I realize there's actually 10 years took place where apparently things were not happening or at least not recorded for us within the you know, scripture here. And Ahab's still on the throne. Ahab then apparently has victory. You know, that whole part of not think, going to plan, it just amplifies itself. And that's why I mentioned, even though I only summarized those next chapters to get to the end of this book, you realize that even here for Elijah, he has some of the most profound experiences in seeing God work, visibly manifest himself, even to the point of, a, you know, within the signs of, in that mount of 
the wind, the earthquake, the fire, and even God speaking to him. And still for him, things didn't necessarily go to plan. Take heart. (laughs) They might not go to plan for you either. That is not, though, evidence that God is not at work. That is not evidence that I should turn away from God. That is not evidence that I ought to be discouraged. The reality is, even for someone like Elijah, who absolutely was used by God, there are ups and there are downs. There's learning from it and knowing that God was constant throughout this. God was no less God when he allowed those 10 years to pass without things changing. God was no less God when he chose to use Ahab to have victory over Syria. God was no less God when he allowed Naboth then to have be killed for the sake of his vineyard. Things just don't always go to our plan and they don't always make sense from our perspective. But I would still say, when you look within the greater scheme of things, these very much ring true. A trust in God to do great and mighty things. Trust in God when things don't go as planned and listen to God when he speaks. I really find this encouraging because I got to say, I try. I, I, I try and I'm not always successful about staying out of politics, divisive topics, all those things. I, you know, I'll just, I'll be honest with you. I come from Canada. I come with a little bit different perspective on, a, on some topics. I'll just leave it at that. You and I, I am certain that we are brother and sister in Christ. There's a possibility some of those, the way the government should run, we don't agree on. And I love you and I don't feel like for a moment that that has to hinder our, our relationship, our walk with God. I just don't. I don't see that as hindering it at all. But I know when I'm sitting here in the election year and I just, I scratch my head. And I think, this is, this is the leaders that are coming up with. And yes, one might be used this way, one might use that. You, you just, this doesn't seem clear, God. But God is no less of our God here and now. Not for a moment. When I then see everyone's response to these situations, not for a moment is he less God than he is. What is my responsibility within the midst of this? It's to follow after him. My responsibility comes back to some of those same last words that Jesus had, that you are to be in the world, in essence, be not of the world, not to follow after the evil one, but to seek after him. So I, with a whole heart, say to you this morning, take heart. Do not allow any of these frustrations, discouragements, divisions, things to draw you away from God. Just don't do it. This is bigger. It really is. It's bigger than the situation that we're in. It is more than sufficient for the situation that we're in. So I'll leave you with that thought, though. That God is very much able to work. I can trust that God is going to work. And I can trust in God even when they don't go to plan. And above all of that, 
I ought to continue to listen to God as he speaks to me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. God, we pray that your words would touch our hearts. We pray that your words, your truths would be significant to us. God, we ask and pray that you would continue to draw your church together to seek after you. God, we pray and ask for your blessing. We ask that you would be at work around us. And even though we may not understand the way you choose to work, God, we desperately pray and ask that you would work because we know that's what we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.